The nursing industry is one of the fastest growing career forces in the world today. There are so many issues in the healthcare field these days relating to nurses that simply are not discussed in the media. Welcome to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with Leanne Meyer. Our program will help you with the most relevant information if you're in the nursing field or are planning to enter the industry. Now, here is your host, Leanne Meyer. Hi, this is Leanne Meyer, and welcome to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. And um, I just want to let you know we're sponsored today by Kim Evans Institute for Integrative Medicine in Louisville, Kentucky, where they make you an active partner in your care in healing your mind, body, spirit, and soul. Kim has a new book out called Transforming Healthcare, Healing You, Me, and Our Broken Disease Care System. For information, please contact www.integrativemedicine4u.com. Integrative Medicine is written out. Four is a number, and U is just the letter U. And also, uh, check out our very popular Holly Blue Nurse Community app, which is for and about nurses. And that is at www.hollyblue.com, a community where nurses thrive. Today's uh, show is called Nurses Everywhere, and uh, this is a time when nurses are truly looking to their leader, their nursing leaders, and my guests uh, today are leaders. Uh, they are using their current careers to influence the profession, some would say calling, of nursing, to a level that highly prizes the contributions, knowledge, and hard-won experience of nurses in every area. I firmly believe the country and the world must realize after this year that nurses are the foundation of health care. So uh, I would like to introduce um, my two guests. Dr. Ernest Grant is the president of the American Nurses Association, and Dr. Grant is the first male president of the ANA. And Dr. Tim Raddersdorf is the first chief innovation officer hired at the Ohio State University College of Nursing. And in fact, he was the first innovation officer in the nation. So very, very happy to have both of you here. Um, Dr. Grant, Could your nursing career has obviously brought you to a fascinating place in the world of nursing. Could you briefly share how you came to be a nurse and then how you have come to this place in your career? Um, I'm not hearing you, so maybe I'll go to Tim instead. Uh, Tim, could you, uh, are you there? Maybe you can tell us. Uh, are you there? I'm here, yeah. I'd be happy to oh, get great. my background. Okay. Yeah, Tim, would you give us just a short bio and tell us um, how you came to nursing and how you came into innovation? Sure. So, hi, everyone. Thank you so much uh, for tuning in today. My name is uh, Tim Raderstorff. I am the Chief Innovation Officer at Ohio State. Um, at the College of Nursing, and that is a very circuitous path uh, that I took to get there. So uh, I'm certain, like many of your listeners, Leanne, um, nursing was not uh, my first uh, professional goal, my first uh, thought of, of what I'd do with my life. Um, when I was younger, I, I went to college prep school, and uh, if you excelled at math and sciences, then they told you that you should be a physician. So uh, uh-huh. I went to college thinking that I was going to go to med school and do all those things. Um, and, you know, naively kind of put my head down and didn't pay attention to um, all of the signals and, and cues that I was getting uh, that becoming a, a nurse was really the pathway in healthcare that I needed to to be uh, to be in, so like for example, I I didn't want to do a pre med major because I didn't think it had enough patient interaction with it. So mm. I created my own major at Ohio State called humanistic medicine, and it had <laughs> sociology and psychology and all these things that I thought would make give me a better bedside manner. Um, uh-huh. And you know, th- these are all kind of red flags. Um, my my lack of interest in uh, organic chemistry and, and um, in biochemistry or other red flags that, you know, maybe being a physician wasn't where I wanted to be in healthcare, but being with people is where I wanted to be. Um, so, you know, I, I ended up finishing Ohio State with that degree in humanistic medicine, uh, but didn't go on to med school and uh, was very fortunate that I was able to use a lot of those prereqs to find my way mm-hmm. into a second degree nursing program at Xavier University in Cincinnati. Wonderful. So um, that's, that's where I got my feet wet in nursing um, and really uh, 
have then transitioned through a variety of different careers within nursing, I would even say, um, from working at the bedside to being a director of uh, of an outpatient clinic with 50-plus direct reports um, to running a quality program at one of the nation's largest emergency departments uh, and then transitioning to academics and now leading uh, healthcare innovation at the college. Yeah, that's quite a journey. So, Dr. Grant, are you with us? Yes. Can you hear me now? Yeah, yeah. If you could um, tell us how you came into nursing and then how you came to the position you're in now. Absolutely. Uh, My path was uh, a little bit like uh, Tim, although uh, I did not uh, actually uh, study uh, uh, pre-med in college. I actually wanted to be a physician, wanted to be an anesthesiologist, actually. Anyone who's heard my story will also hear me say that uh, my life dream was to be an anesthesiologist and drive a 1968 lime green Cougar. And for those who, who don't know what that car looked like, I would suggest that they Google it and they'll get the opportunity to see that um, uh, and why I fell so madly in love with the car. I, um, uh, I grew up, I'm the youngest of seven children, a uh, very poor family, single parent. My father died when I was five and um, youngest of seven. And uh, in speaking with my high school guidance counselor, he said, you to, you know, to get to med school and everything, but, uh, you know, there's no money. You probably, uh, you know, get by with scholarships to undergrad, but, um, you know, after that, you know, you're sort of on your own. So he suggested uh, possibly becoming a nurse anesthetist, and he said, you may or may not like nursing, but uh, why don't you go to the local community college and, you know, uh, try that, and then you can you always uh, become a nurse anesthetist, and if you still want to go to med school, work your way that way. So uh, I went to the local community college and uh, fell in love with nursing, totally forgot all about uh, med school. And uh, and then uh, as I, uh, you know, wanted to always do more and more for my patients, that's what drove me back to get, um, you know, the master's and, and doctorate and et cetera. And, uh, you know, and of course, during that time began actively working uh, within the North Carolina Nurses Association as well as ANA because it was drilled in my head that if you're going to be a professional nurse, you should belong to your professional organization and not only belong but actively participate. And that's what I did. And uh, so subsequently that uh, put me in the chair that I'm in right now serving as the uh, first male president of ANA. Wow. Again, that's that's quite a journey along the way. Lots of lots of uh, challenges and op- opportunities to go in different directions. So I guess our benefit that you both ended up in nursing. So speaking of nursing, uh, I know that you both have been involved in a program called Nurses Everywhere, and I'm very interested. Um, until I heard about it from Tim, I had not heard about it. And so could you uh, tell us a little bit about, and, and this can be either of you to start, um, maybe Dr. Grant, do you want to start? And then Tim can pick up. I'll let, uh, I'll let Tim uh, talk about it, and then I'll pick oh, it up okay. from, uh, I guess, the uh, a different angle, perhaps. Okay. All right. Sounds great. Well, yeah, everyone... Um, Nurses Everywhere is something we're very excited about, but it's very new. We, we launched in April of last year. Um, our good mutual friend uh, of many nursing leaders, P.K. Shirley, who's perhaps the um, most successful nurse entrepreneur, uh, had an inclination when, uh, when COVID hit that this was going to be an opportunity um, that was going to elevate a profession and that we certainly were going to be challenged in ways that we had never been challenged before. Uh, mm-hmm. But with that challenge would come the opportunity for immense growth within our profession. So uh, collectively, uh, 18 leaders from, um, from across the country got together to think about how we could advance the, the nursing profession uh, conjointly or concurrently with advancing the health of, of the people who live in the United States of America and then hopefully uh, expand that globally. So we... Um, we formulated this group with a goal of uh, helping people become more knowledgeable about their rights to nursing care and how nurses really uh, move beyond being the most trusted profession. They become the uh, the front door to your health and well-being. So mm-hmm. we're very excited uh, to, to have the momentum that we've gained this year. We've we've had some very key uh, initiatives. First was we we conducted a poll with the Harris Group. 
uh, or with the Harris Poll, uh, that surveyed people living in the United States to determine how they felt about nurses. Uh, and it moved beyond the trusted component. And it, we found that nine out of every 10 Americans wanted the same level of access to nursing care that they were receiving during the pandemic once the pandemic was over. Now, think about that. This is in July of 2020, and nine out of 10 Americans agreed on something. Uh, when, when the world was in, in that, or when our country was in that much, um, you know, conjuncture and, and, and conflict with each other, right. nursing is a is a point where we feel the public can rally upon. And as a profession, I think we have a, a, a lot to do when it comes to educating the public about our role in their health and how we can continue to help people uh, achieve their health and uh, well-being goals. Yes, and what does it what does it look like exactly? Is it like a website? How would people find it? Yes, so Nurses Everywhere is uh, right now a, a website. We um, have uh, multiple ways to get involved, but the biggest thing that we're going to be announcing, I guess, Leanne, we can give you some some late breaking uh, news here, um, is that in in. December, we partnered with a country music duo uh, named Brown and Gray to yes. produce and direct their music video um, that hopefully many of your listeners have seen. It's called You Didn't Have To, and right. it's uh, a tribute to frontline workers. What we hope is that it becomes the anthem for Nurses Month and Nurses Week this year. So okay. in order to do that, we're asking uh, our nursing colleagues and the general public to engage in our Thank a Nurse contest where they mm-hmm. create a video, their own music video, uh, using that song, either holding up signs or doing a dance oh. or using whatever creative freedom that they'd like, um, and upload that to our website at nurseseverywhere.com. And then we have a variety of prizes that we'll be giving away in May uh, at the end of Nurses Week to the best videos that are submitted. Um, but okay. lots of other wonderful resources that you'll find there, like our policy brief that gives a bunch of other information about um, the Harris Poll that we conducted, things around... Um, you know, safe staffing ratios and where the American public falls in that. Uh, so lots of great resources there at nurseseverywhere.com. Great. And Dr. Grant, and what would you like have, to add to that? I was just going to say, I, I would add that, uh, you know, the, the public knows that nurses are with them from the cradle to the grave. And mm-hmm. um, part of what Nurses Everywhere, as a result of the, uh, you know, the, the Harris Poll and, and our goal uh, it also points towards the future of what's nursing going to look like post-COVID. You know, where are we going and, you know, how will we use innovation and technology to uh, provide better health care to the American public? Because that's all what it's about is, you know, uh, nurses being able to do what nurses do, which is to provide health and, uh, you know, and do so in a way that, you know, that everyone benefits. Uh, you know, obviously, one of the things that COVID has shined the light on is the fact that we do have uh, communities uh, out there where there's an extreme lack of uh, of uh, health equity, and um, you know, so we're hoping that this campaign will shed the light on that a little bit more, so that everyone will have equal access to health care and uh, also have um, you know the right to the uh, to the health care that they deserve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds exactly what we need to be going in that direction. Um, so, um, what, I, I don't know, I think this maybe fits in with the health equity, um, is right now we're trying to get as many people vaccinated as possible. Um, and so I'm uh, wondering what your thoughts are. I think, uh, Dr. Grant, were you involved in um, uh, the vaccine trial, I understand, with Moderna? Yes. What can I we do involved. for our beef? Well, still, I, I, I still am involved, actually. Um, okay. Uh, but I, um, um, you know, I did uh, participate in uh, phase three of the clinical trial. And uh-huh. part of that is, uh, you know, once it was unblinded and, you know, I sort of uh, knew that I'd gotten the, uh, I had uh, had been, uh, uh, you know, put in the, uh, the group that, uh, you know, that got the uh, the vaccine because of the, uh, you know, the side effects that I felt after the, you know, the, the, the second injection um, and will continue to be step followed for, you know, for long term. But I, I think the, uh, you know, the most important thing that we as nurses can do is, of course, to uh, provide the much needed education for the public and our colleagues, uh, you know, that are out there that may be hesitant. We need to drive them from what I call vaccine hesitancy to uh, vaccine 
uh, competency so that, right. um, you know, answer their questions, their concerns that they have, and let them know that they need to get that from a trusted source. Um, right. And by trusted source, I mean a healthcare provider like a nurse, your physician, or perhaps going to the CDC website. But the uh, the information that they're getting on social media is not always going to be accurate. Uh, you know, when you hear that, you know, there's a chip that's in the uh, the vaccine so <laughs> that the government can follow you or it's going to change my DNA or, you know, all these other things, um, you know, yeah. that's, you know, it's just not true. Uh, but the sooner we're able to uh, get people to be more vaccine competent and they can make up their mind about taking the vaccine and subsequently take the vaccine so that we can get enough Americans vaccinated that uh, we could have potential for herd immunity, the faster this crisis will be over and we can return to, well, what normal is going to look like post-COVID. But uh, definitely, I'm sure everyone like myself, you know, we're tired of wearing a mask. We're tired of, you know, the social distancing and et cetera. But, uh, you know, that's going to be you know, still the norm until we get enough people vaccinated to, to where we could uh, possibly obtain herd immunity. Right. I Dr. think Grant, um, I could jump in. Go ahead, Tim. Sure. Do you mind if I jump in and ask a question here? Oh, um, please do. So one yeah. of the uh, one of the, the things that we've talked about a little bit at Nurses Everywhere, but probably not as much as we should or I like, um, you know, I, I find there to be a difference between the examples that you just gave of, you know, microchips and, and being um, being uh, followed by the government, very different than um, some of the other complaints or concerns that may occur in, in the BIPOC communities, mm-hmm. um, particularly mm-hmm. based off the history with the Tuskegee experiments. Um, how, how would you advise someone like me, you know, a, a a white male nurse who, who doesn't have that historical perspective um, to have conversations with our, our, our patients in the BIPOC communities who are concerned about, you know, the history and the way that, that um, healthcare has changed communities of, of um, or changed these people's communities and maybe a lack of trust that exists yeah. there. What, what's a good way to build trust or what's a good way to acknowledge the, the uh, reality behind that? Yeah, well, uh, thank you, Tim. That's a, that's a really great, great question, and I'm glad that you, you asked that. I think the, uh, the first thing, obviously, is to acknowledge, yes, um, you know, that Tuskegee happened, that Henrietta Lacks happened, that there were, you know, um, uh, minorities who were exposed to nerve gas during, you know, World War One and Two, and, and just, you know, healthcare in general for, uh, a lot of the minority population has been substandard, even, Though we, you know, you were thinking that uh, perhaps you're getting health care, uh, we need to uh, to recognize that and uh, acknowledge that um, because the moment you you throw up a denial, you've lost that you know that person, um, and so by but you want to point to the good things too. What's the good that has happened uh, as a result of the Tuskegee experiment? Well, now we have the you know the institution review boards. It says, you know, and of course, federal laws, it says you can't do the type of experiment that was done, um, you know, with the Tuskegee experiment, um, you know, that uh, it goes through any proposed experiment like that. It goes through a review board. Is it going to cause, um, you know, harm to the uh, individual or not? Um, how will it be reviewed? What about the results and, uh, you know, things of, of this sort? Uh, you know, there are experts, you know, that are out there to uh, e- evaluate these things to ensure that, uh, you know, that there is no um, workarounds or shortcuts taken or, you know, things of, of that sort. Uh, so those are some of the things that I use when I am speaking in the, uh, the BIPOC uh, community and also uh, including people, again, that they trust. Uh, that may be a religious leader. It may be a local mayor or member of city council, or even using myself as an example of having uh, participated in the clinical trial. You know, I can talk about my own personal experience uh, also, and the fact that I have uh, encouraged my family members to, you know, to, uh, to to take the vaccine. So the fact that I, not only as a you know as a black male, but as uh, you know the president of you know, the world's, uh, well, the, the nation's largest nursing organization that represents 4.3 million nurses, you know, I uh, consciously 
participated in the clinical trial for two reasons. One, I knew there was a need for more people of color. And two, as the leader of, uh, of uh, ANA, I wanted those nurses who were on the front line to know that I was there in solidarity with them. And if the vaccines were approved, because keep in mind, the time that I participated, you know, we were still in the clinical trials, so we didn't know if they were going to work or not. But if they were approved, um, you know, they would... Um, would not have any hesitancy knowing that if the president of ANA, uh, you know, was willing to take the vaccine and also have his family, uh, you know, uh, encouraged to, you know, to, to take the vaccine and et cetera, that would relieve any anxiety that they may have. Yeah, I'm hoping that that will will help. Um, I do have a caller uh, on hold. Uh, if we could bring her in, Josh, and I think she has a question. Her name is Anne. Okay. Hi, Anne. Hi, Leanne. This is Anne Scanlon McGinnity. How are you? Oh, hi. I was just talking about you. Oh, so, great. <laughs> well, I yeah. was very much interested in what both um, Ernest and Ted had to say this morning. And one of the big concerns I have is around national organizations and their whole role in collaborating together to present a re-imaged vision of what nursing is for the future. And really wanted to speak a bit about what what is being done to collate and collaborate those organizations and get to nurses to craft a new professional identity. The one we currently have, we are very much beholden to, and the polls, the Harris poll reflects that, um, that people are proud to know nurses because they're kind, caring, compassionate. How do we brand an image for nurses themselves as well as the public in general, the re-imaged nurse of the future who is one that is an innovator, is an entrepreneur, is a business person, etc.? That, to me, is the critical first step, unless we have consensus within nursing ranks on what that image is and then sell it educationally to our academic institutions as well as to our other organizations, we have a very divided workforce. So I know there's a lot packed in there, but the question is, that seems to me, and is it from the ANA's perspective, one of their strategic goals is to collaborate nationally and internationally with re-imaging the nurse of the future who plays or it contributes to healthcare transformation. And it's through the image that it first has to start. What, what are the strategies that we're dealing to address that? Let's, let's ask our guests. So uh, Tim or Dr. Grant, who would like to take that question? Tim, Tim and I were talking I'll, about uh, it earlier. Yes, I, uh, I um, will we'll take a crack at it. And then I guess, uh, Tim, if you, if you don't mind, you can uh, uh, add uh, what you'd like to say as well. That's, you're right. That was a very loaded impact question. And it's, uh, <laughs> I, I, I'll, just, I'll just talk about some of the uh, generalities or so. Um, you know, post-COVID, um, if we don't do something to change, uh, then we, we really have missed a boat. We, we've missed a, a golden right. opportunity. And I think one of the things that, uh, you know, that is so important is that we've got to be able to rally, uh, as was mentioned, all the, you know, the nursing organizations to be able to come to the table, mm-hmm. you know, and think mm-hmm. about where do we want the profession to go in the future? What, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what kind of autonomous, um, uh, you know, positioning do we want to, uh, you know, to, to have nursing uh, state? And what is that going to look like? And how are we going to mm-hmm. embrace innovation and technology to get us to where we need to be as well? Uh, you're right in that the public, yes, they love us. They trust us. You know, uh, right. But sometimes if you, uh, even with the Harris poll or even with the annual Gallup poll, that, you know, which has shown for the 19th consecutive year in a row that nursing is the most trusted profession, if you sometimes mm-hmm. were to ask the average John or Jane Doe out on the street what it is that nursing, nurses do, they would probably say, I don't know, but I know someone who works at the mm-hmm. local acute care facility or they work at a clinic or, you know, they do, um, 
you know, uh, in long-term care or whatever, but they really do not have any idea about right. you know, the inner workings of what it takes to, you know, to, to perform the job as a nurse. And I think one of the things about nursing everywhere, if you really stop and think about that name, it is saying that we are everywhere. We're not just in acute care. We're not just in long-term right. care or public health. Mm-hmm. You know, I know nurses who are, you know, uh, work at NASA, uh, nurses who mm-hmm. have their own business, mm-hmm. nurses who, you know, we're, we're part of the community. So when something happens in the community, it not only affects us from a professional perspective, but it also affects us Mm -hmm. as being members of the community. And that's one of the things that I have always stressed is that, um, you know, nurses should put on, take on that leadership role. And because we are most trusted, people are going to be more likely to follow you because they, you know, they trust what you're, uh, you know, what you're going to be advocating is going to be beneficial not only for you but mm-hmm. for the rest of the community. So I guess just in summary, we need to yes uh, bring all the you know the interested groups together and uh, and you know work out our differences you know so that it's not just my little piece of the pie and you know uh, you know I've got mine and right. you know uh, right. uh, as long as this group is being advanced that's it. It's the profession as a whole. We've got to stand up for, you know, for who we are as nurses first. And then there's time for the, uh, for lack of a better term, let's say the, the internal bickering, perhaps that, that may, uh, right. you know, the, right. that, that may ensue. But until we're able to, you know, to join together as one, uh, you know, we're still going to be spinning our wheels. I would advocate, Ernest, that that is a key strategy that needs to be part of the ANA's go-forward plan in 2021, that someone owns and leads and finds the people in the nursing organization that will do that, um, rather than looking vertically but looking horizontally across what we need to do. We have to pivot on it now, as you alluded to. We have to pivot and make that image out there that includes everybody who's invested in that. But it can't go on for years, and it can't go on for talking. And um, so. can I ask if uh, Tim sure. has something he'd like to add to that? Sure, right. Maybe you can and, listen and on, so much online. Yeah, and sure. thanks yeah. so much for the question. Um, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't agree more uh, that there's an opportunity here for us to continue yep. to advance the profession, uh, particularly through innovation entrepreneurship, which are the main passions mm-hmm. of mine. I've, I've written a textbook mm-hmm. on that on that topic, um, mm-hmm. and you know, the reason the reason that we chose to do that wasn't because textbooks make people money. It's because the only way that I can impact students outside of Ohio State, where right. I teach, is by providing mm-hmm. a platform. So that's right. the first step that we're working on right now. We're, we're developing a platform for innovation entrepreneurship to become part of the nursing curriculum uh, because I think that that's one of the best ways to have things get dispersed throughout the profession. Uh, the other things that we're doing to help those at the front lines is I've created an innovation platform called the Innovation Studio, and it's a movable makerspace that encourages people at the front lines to bring their ideas forward and gives them a platform to be heard and to tinker and think about what the future of healthcare might look back at an N of one for them. And then we bring in that entrepreneurial mindset once they've developed their innovation and start getting them to think about how they can move this beyond their system and get true impact through commercialization. So um, I think these are all things that are really built into uh, the nursing curriculum already. We just have to reframe it or rebrand it. Uh, If you look up Morris's entrepreneurial concepts, they're very closely aligned to the nursing process, the ADPI process of, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, you're going to assess, or assess you're going to discuss and diagnose, you're going to plan, you're going to implement, and you're going to evaluate. Mm-hmm. Those are all things that, you know, that we call the nursing process, but that's pretty much the process that occurs when you're looking for opportunity and, and managing risk. So um, I think nursing just needs to have a little bit more education, just like we need to educate the public about our role as uh, leaders and innovators. We need to build that into our curriculum so our nurses see themselves in that role and start being the people with the blowhorns telling, uh, telling the public that we need them to be our partners uh, and that together we'll elevate health in, in the country. That sounds really good. We do need to take a break, and I think this might be a good place to do it. So this is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. And I am Leanne Meyer, and I'm talking today with Dr. Ernest Grant and Tim Raderstorff uh, on Nurses Everywhere and 
and just nursing subjects in general. So we will be back in just a few minutes, and uh, uh, hopefully you will come back with us. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. WomenInHealthcare.org, a national nonprofit, is our newest partner at Once a Nurse. It is among the most rapidly growing professional development groups for women in healthcare today. Through healthcare education, professional development, mentorship, community, and a focus on self, the organization empowers women with the tools needed to advance their careers. They use initiatives to break down barriers within organizations and equip women with the tools needed to open a powerful force for gender parity. 80% of the healthcare workforce is female, with nurses a massive majority of that percentage. But less than 20% of leadership is female. Join womeninhealthcare.org as they help all women of all ages and all levels rise up. Use code HEALTHPROS to receive $50 off the annual membership fee and receive discounted pricing for events, free resources, webinars, and a substantial discount for our annual leadership summit on October 22nd, 2020. org to be where you want to be in the world of healthcare. Hey nurses, what would you say is the hardest part about being a nurse? Well, most of you would say it's putting everyone else's needs before our own, which means not enough time for self-care. And this is why Holly Blue has created a peer support and community app just for nurses, so you can take care of you. Holly Blue is the ultimate nurse app to help you connect with local nurses, organize your nurse life in one place, restore your love for nursing, and empower you to thrive in a field that needs you. Want to see how it works? Student nurses, nurses, and retired nurses can download this free app on the App Store Google Play now. Just type in H-O-L-L-I-B-L-U or go to hollyblue.com to start connecting. You are listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Hi, welcome back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing. And we're talking today about the um, nurses everywhere with Dr. Ernest Grant, uh, who is the president of the American Nurses Association, and uh, uh, Tim Ratterstorff, who is the chief first chief innovation officer hired for the Ohio State University College of Nursing, and in fact, the first in the nation to be hired. So... Um, uh, we brushed over COVID right a, a little bit, and there's so much to talk about that I feel like I don't know which direction to go, but I'd like to talk about how COVID impacts nurses uh, in all the different ways. So, um, Dr. Grant, could you share with us uh, what you're thinking about that? Uh, certainly. Um, well, you know, since it's it's almost been um, a year since uh, COVID first came to the shores of the uh, United States, and um, uh, the American Nurses Association, along with the American Nurses Foundation, we have been doing uh, essentially pulse surveys about every other month, you know, to find out from nurses you know, what they're seeing, what they're experiencing, and et cetera. And uh, those surveys always... Um, addresses particularly uh, two main uh, uh, issues and then uh, whatever the particular topic may be for the, the other survey. The first one is the continued uh, or lack of supply of PPE. We're still hearing, even a year later, that nurses are still experiencing PPE shortages, even though, you know, uh, and of course we pass this information on to, uh, you know, to the federal government because the supply chain is breaking down or has broken down. And even though, you know, facilities may report that they have a two or three month supply of PPE, the reason they have that is that they're still requiring nurses to wear the N95s multiple days in a row, which, uh, of course, the, uh, the guidelines uh, for their usage is that they're supposed to be used once and then discarded. And that has always been a, 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 uh, uh, situation which ANA has, has uh, pointed out. We don't want what is 
being used now, you know, the, the fact that they are being worn multiple times in a row to become the new um, standard. Um, you know, so we have to be cognizant of that. The other uh, big concern as well is, of course, uh, nurses' mental and physical fatigue. Uh, you know, nurses uh, have been working, you know, day in and, and day out, long shifts, seeing, um, you know, deaths and untold numbers, um, you know, and it has really has just wreaked havoc on uh, on nurses. And, of course, you can't function well as a nurse if you don't take care of yourself. And so, you know, that has been a big concern. And uh, the ANA, along with several of our organizational affiliates, you know, put together a uh, program called Wellbeing, which uh, people can access on the uh, Nursing World website. But it's designed, you know, the individual is asked to take uh, or to answer 10 questions. And based on those answers, you know, it will determine their level of stress that they may be under and offer some suggestions for them, um, you know, either you know, having Zoom meetings with, uh, you know, with other people that are like themselves or one-on-one, you know, telephone calls or even seeking, uh, you know, uh, you know uh, counseling from a, either a nurse practitioner or someone uh, who could uh, help them uh, with that. Uh, the main thing that, uh, you know, my big concern is that uh, nurses, uh, like some of the people in the, the military, uh, you know, we don't see the uh, the fact that someone uh, is wanting or needs to reach out for help we we have the tendency not to do that because it, it looks like you're you're being weak when in actuality there's no harm in stating that i need to talk to someone or i need to uh, you know to take enough time off uh, so that i can uh, recoup um, again as i stated you're you can't take care of your patients if you yourself have not been taken care of. And some of the survey results that we're seeing, nurses are not sleeping, they're not eating, or they're eating too much, or they're sleeping too much, they're turning to alcohol. Um, you know, all these are, you know, signs and symptoms of leading to post-traumatic stress. And if we don't do something to correct that, then, uh, you know, we're in for a very rude awakening within the, the uh, profession. And we are advocating with the administration to try to get, um, you know, funds passed uh, that would uh, address this, not only for nurses, but for all members of the healthcare team, because everyone mm-hmm. is suffering this um, as a result of COVID. Um, right. You know, but we definitely need to, uh, th- this is a, a topic that we need to have addressed so that uh, we can p- continue to provide care or, or healthcare in the, the, the future. You can't do that if everyone is, you know, is still under stress or suffering right. PTSD or worse yet has made the decision to possibly leave the profession. And, and has left. Um, Tim, I'll give you a chance to talk about that in just a minute, but I just wanted to mention, I think the frustration for nurses, um, what I keep hearing is what are they going to do to us next? So that like almost like a feeling of victimhood, but also like they have no power to be able to push back. So to leave you know, what you're saying, even those that recognize they can't keep going on like this, they're not machines. Um, I, I'm thinking of the governor in California that when their numbers got so high that he suggested that ICU nurses should be taking another patient. So you've got already uh, ner- patients that are acute enough, it should be one-to-one nursing. And instead, they're seeing the, the so- solution to this problem as nurses taking three, I've even heard in some states, you know, five or six patients at a time. So, Tim, do you want to uh, address that situation? I Tim? am, yeah. No. Sorry, I'm, I'm okay. uh, I'm here. Pulling up okay. a couple of things. So I think the, oh, okay. the first thing to recognize here uh, is that that goes 100% in the face of what the general public wants. Um, so when we, when we surveyed the public, uh, 91% of Americans found that they wanted hospitals to require, be required to meet safe staffing minimums. Um, and then a slight percentage difference, 90% said nursing homes should be required to meet the same staffing standards. So, um, you know, the the policies that are being developed don't always uh, meet the the expectations of nurses, but I think it's important for us to recognize our public, our partnership that we need to have with the public and and demand that the public's voice is heard in these these circumstances. So, um, you know, that that data came from the Harris poll that we ran, and I think it's very clear that 
when people come to a, a hospital, they expect exceptional care. And that exceptional care is almost not exclusively, but uh, the majority of that, ex- that exceptional care is delivered by nurses. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that I think we need to be aware of right now is uh, creating the future and doing that in a couple different ways. Uh, one is what will the leaders of tomorrow look like? Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's one of the best parts of my job uh, is that I, I get to work with uh, educating this next generation of, of not just nursing leaders, but healthcare leaders, um, and just as a bad word there, but I use that for, for the delineation that uh, nursing is going to transcend what we've typically viewed it as the nursing profession. We're going to start to see more nurses in CEO roles. We're going to start to see more nurses working in startups and industry uh, and, and, you know, places that, you know, 10 years ago would never have thought of having a nurse at them now, like Microsoft. I think that Microsoft now employs five nurses for nursing positions. Um, so what, what we've thought of, you know, uh, the, the future of healthcare looking like, I think it's only been exacerbated by the COVID pandemic. And it's really been a catalyst to showcase our wealth of knowledge and how we can, uh, and how nurses lead beyond the bedside. The issue that it causes though is, is as nurses may leave the bedside, we need to make sure that we continue to deliver that exceptional care to those patients. Um, so, you know, continuing to build programs, increasing enrollment at, at, um, at nursing schools, those things are all important. Um, but I, I think that really, if we, the, the main concern that I, I'm really interested in right now is the knowledge acquisition that's occurred by those people at the bedside. I mean, who better to help us prepare for the next pandemic or the next big issue that we're going to face than all these people who've been in the trenches and have figured out right. what works well, what doesn't work well, who've created these amazing workarounds that probably no one knows about within the system because they've just been keeping their head down and trying to get things done. So one of the big things that it's gonna, that, that's going to impact our future is how well we uh, download all this amazing knowledge that's been generated by our nurses at the front lines and really mm-hmm. take to heart into making the changes and suggestions that are being made um, following COVID. Tim, I think that's a really good point. And you had mentioned earlier about the New York Times video uh, in which the doctor had stated that if the nurses didn't come, there would be no point in anybody else being there. And I think that's so true. And I'm hoping that we can get past political um, ratios of nurses to, to patients. I think it should be the, the manager on the floor, the charge nurse, whoever it is that's in charge, they're the ones who know what the acuity of these patients are, what the ability of their nurses are at that time, so that they are determining, you know, hour to hour, shift to shift, day to day, what is safe uh, staffing for their unit. And I think that, you know, given that responsibility, I think nurses would take it very seriously and not, you know, just uh, have one-to-one on, on every patient no matter what. So that's what I'm hoping the future will bring is that enough people will have seen that nurses are the ones who knows the patients the best and they know how to take the best care of the patients. So I'm hoping their input will be uh, holding sway over everybody else's. Uh, any thought on that? You'll never get me to argue against more autonomy. <laughs> okay. All right. and, I would, and I would say what you just described is, has been um, ANA's position when it comes to staffing is that it should be a collaboration between uh, the, the floors and the, uh, the staffing office because you have to consider, uh, you know, the staffing mix. How many of those may, may be nurses with, um, you know, less than a year or two years worth of exactly. experience or, or maybe more? How many of them may be, you know, certified nursing assistant? Uh, you know, uh, things of that. There's a whole lot that goes into that, um, you know, when you look at not only the acuity level, but what is the overall, um, you know, what's the overall nursing staffing situation looking like and, and how can we adjust it up or adjust it down, you know, based on, uh, on that. So, um, you know, and, you know, so, uh, it's a way for for nurses to you know to to have their voices heard, and to uh, you know uh, adjust for each particular situation. Exactly. Um, I was thinking in terms of too that. Um, oh, and I just lost my train of thought. I went on to another thought in my brain, and it didn't come back with me. 
Um, so yeah, we're <laughs> we're coming to the end of the show, and I want to give you time. Um, if there's something you'd really like to get across to uh, nurses, not just in the United States, but around the world, um, if there was one thing you could tell them, what would it be? And I actually can give each of you about um, two to three minutes. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Well, I didn't tell you. you which don't mind, Tim. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead, Dr. Grant. Sorry. Please, please go ahead. Uh, okay. Uh, Thank you, Tim, and uh, uh, Leanne, for, for letting me go first. I, I, I think the uh, the most important thing that I would want uh, nurses to know is, one, uh, how very proud I am of nurses in the profession in general for stepping up and meeting the challenge that uh, of this past year and the current year as well, because even though it looks like we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, I just hope that they can hang in there just a little bit longer, and uh, you know, hopefully if we can get enough of the world vaccinated that where we can uh, return to, uh, to to normal. In the meantime, uh, I want them to know that on every level, we're advocating on their behalf to ensure that they still have the, um, you know, the uh, uh, proper amount of personal protective equipment and, uh, you know, and, and other things. And also, as I mentioned earlier, for them to take care of themselves both uh, mentally and physically, because it's very difficult to try to take care of, of um, or provide care when you yourself as a nurse are, are feeling run down or, or extremely stressed, and that we are hearing you and that we are doing our best to work with um, the powers that be. And by that, I mean, you know, uh, well, here in the United States, obviously, members of Congress to see uh, you know the, the situation that COVID has brought onto healthcare, and to ensure that uh, you know the the pipelines are open, that you get the proper PPE, that uh, uh, that those PPEs are manufactured here in the United States, so that we don't have to depend on a another country that could easily pull them back uh, if uh, there was a sudden um, uh, increase in COVID cases in in right. uh, that particular country. Um, you know, all of those are. are things that are extremely important, and it does take time, but I do want them to know that we are up on Capitol Hill every day um, you know, advocating in some form or fashion for uh, on the behalf of nurses and other members of the healthcare team also. And thank you for the opportunity, and yes. I've never been more proud to, to be a nurse or to represent nursing, So, um, and we are hearing you. I know that you have to leave, so I would just like to thank you. And then whenever you need to drop off, just go ahead and do that. Um, But please uh, know that I'm very, very appreciative to have you come on and share uh, with us from your heart um, what is going on. I know a lot of nurses really feel like um, they don't know what's going on out here on their behalf, and they feel like they've been abandoned in a lot of ways. So thank you very much for coming. Uh, and Tim, Thank you. Um, yes, you're so welcome. Thank you. And Tim, if if there's something you would like nurses to know, what would that be? First is, is similar to what Dr. Grant said, and that's just an immense sense of gratitude. Um, you know, I, I haven't given a, a drug or, or really touched a patient um, in the last well, eight, almost eight years now. And, you know, for a while, I, I used to feel bad about that, and then I've come to terms to realize that I'm I'm a nurse doing nursing jobs in a variety of different ways. Um, so, but but I, I want to I want to thank everyone at the in the front lines for the sacrifices they made, uh, and I also want to thank you know a, a group of people that may not be getting the rec- uh, enough recognition right now, and that's all of our amazing retired nurses who have come mm-hmm. back to answer this call and run vaccination clinics or, or uh, you know, use their skills in, in a variety of different ways um, to, to make our communities healthier. So thank you so much to those people uh, on the front lines. And thank you so much to the American public, to the people who are adhering to the advice of nurses and, uh, and really, you know, following safe COVID behaviors and being the role models of the behavior that we need to, to be nursed through this pandemic. Um, the other thing I want to say is let's not go back. Yes. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of gains that have been made during uh, the pandemic. There's been a lot of policy changes, and I can promise you that there will be advocacy, advocacy groups pushing back against things that have worked well, like independent scope of practice. We know that there will be people who push back against that. 
So I encourage you all to use your voices and speak up and refuse to move backwards. We've shown what we can do. We don't need to go back to the way it was. Um, And, you know, one one of my favorite quotes that that has provided me with some inspiration through this comes from uh, Shirley Chisholm, who was the first black woman Mm -hmm. to be elected to the United States Congress. And she said, if they don't give you a seat at the table, bring a folding chair. (laughs) So to all the nurses out there, stop waiting for your permission to be involved. You don't need it. You don't need a permission slip. What you need to do is bring your folding chair along. So do that. Speak up. Join Nurses Everywhere by uh, participating in our Thank a Nurse Wear a Mask competition. Uh, And please, if you haven't seen the video for You Didn't Have To, find that on YouTube or on our webpage and share that with someone that you love, whether they be a nurse or or whether or not. See if you can get that message uh, across the community because we know that uh, when, when people feel loved and engaged, they're much happier and healthier in their work environment, and we need our nurses to be as happy and healthy as they can be right now. So thank I agree. you so much for the time today, Leanne. Yes, uh, you're so welcome. I love being here talking with you, Dr. Grant, and, uh, and really thank you to all your listeners out there who are going to help us get beyond this pandemic. Thank you so very much. I appreciate that. I also want to thank all of the CNOs that have been at the bedside with their nurses and have been there day and night. Uh, I think they get left out. We get a lot of praise for the nurses at the bedside. Of course, they are fantastic, but nobody knows what the CNOs do behind the scenes. So, um to end here, I just wanted to thank you so much, both of you, for coming. And uh, so to Dr. Ernest Grant, President of the American Nurses Association, and uh, Dr. Tim Ratterstorff, the first Chief Innovation Officer hired at the Ohio State University College of Nursing. There's a Buddhist saying that is uh, that says that every great evil is followed by great good. COVID has certainly exposed parts of our healthcare system, which many would call evil. The good, great good starts when each person chooses a cause and goes after making positive change. My personal causes have already started. To make, one is to make mental health support and professional care available for nurses 24-7. And the second one is to make a big stab at turning our disease care system to a healthy care system with nurses in the lead at the community level. Nurses, please take note and join in. There are nearly 4.6 million of us in the United States and Canada. Just imagine what we can accomplish if we come together with respect and positivity to create an industry dedicated to all things healthy for our patients and clients. And I'd like to close with a quote. Uh, The quote is, with everything that has happened to you, you can either feel sorry for yourself or treat what has happened as a gift. Everything is either an opportunity to grow or an obstacle to keep you from growing. You get to choose. And that was by Wayne Dyer. And also for me, I want to have you remember that not to choose is to choose. If you don't make a choice, you're actually choosing not to do anything. So again, make it a great week and don't let anyone take it away. Thank you for listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with your host, Leanne Meyer. Be sure to join us again next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a productive and insightful week.